My guest on today's episode is dedicated to transforming the food system. An investor, a mentor, advisor to the next generation of American food companies, former CEO of Whole Foods Market, Walter Robb, has a long and varied entrepreneurial history ranging from natural food retailer to farmer to consultant. Today, we talk about real solutions to transform our food system, including how to reduce food waste. We also talk about food access and Walter's work to make healthy foods accessible in impoverished areas in America. He also shares his vision for the future of food, which isn't as dark as you might imagine. You won't want to miss this fascinating conversation. Welcome to the Doctor's Pharmacy. That's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, a place for conversations that matter. I'm Dr. Mark Hyman, and we have a great conversation today with the founder, co-founder of Whole Foods, Walter Robb. And uh, I just want to share a little bit about him because he's quite an extraordinary guy. He started out basically as a grocery store guy and uh, working on the floor, just at the bottom up, but now he's an investor, a mentor, he's an advisor of the next generation of American food companies. He um, has a long and varied career, an entrepreneur, ranging from natural food retailer to farmer, loves organic farming, I want to hear all about that, a consultant, he's joined Whole Foods in 1991, and in 2010 was named the CEO, co-CEO, along with John Mackey, and uh, he also joined the board of directors at that time, he transitioned to leadership in 2017 after Whole Foods was bought up by Amazon, and I want to hear about that too. Uh, he now does uh, great advocacy work and is passionate about greater food access in underserved communities. Uh, he serves as a chairman of the board for Whole Kids Foundation and Whole Cities Foundation, which do great work to bring food and access to good food to all sorts of communities and people and kids. Uh, he's on the board of directors of Union Square Hospitality Group and many other things, Food Maven, which is about food waste. I want to hear about that. And he loves organic gardening. He has own gardening. He served on the board of uh, directors of the Organic Trade Association and many other groups, uh, and he's quite an extraordinary guy who's also graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford in 1976 and has is a father, grandfather, has two sons, a daughter, and four grandchildren. Welcome, Walter. Dr. Mark, great to be with you. Thanks so much. That was long-winded, man. I know, right? you got a lot going on. Well, <laughs> you live long enough, your bio gets longer and longer and longer. My goodness. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so, for having me on. You know, Whole Foods was... Uh, you know, I remember being in college, and mm-hmm. I think I showed you the other day. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would go to the food co-op, and it had a dirt floor. Everything was in burlap bags. You know, the tofu was in big white buckets with water in them. And, uh, you know, you had to volunteer and work there. And Whole Foods sort of grew out of that movement and started off as a very small enterprise. Uh, and you and John sort of co-created it. And uh, and yet now it's uh, this massive company with five or almost 500 stores it was recently bought out by amazon and has changed the way we think about food in america um so how did you kind of start, first get started with uh the idea of being a grocer or being working in a natural food store were you kind of a hippie back then or what? exactly well to be clear john, to be clear john started uh, whole foods in 1980 and i started my own store in 1978 and we joined forces in 1990. My store was store number 12 for Whole Foods. So, but we were running parallel paths. But uh-huh. it's been a remarkable journey. A little easier to uh, look at backwards and see exactly what happened over that period yeah. of time. But I think, like every young person, when you're you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, and I think uh, for me, uh, it was I wanted to do something meaningful. And uh, I think the natural food thing really got started in the mid to late 70s when people said hey there's got to be a better way to think about food and mm-hmm. uh, there's got to be a way that's more responsible to the environment and that is healthier for individuals and communities uh, because you know we'd seen the advent and the rise of processed food frozen food those sorts of things and uh, so we just um, kind of found and pumbled stumbled our way to the idea that 
you know, started selling a little yogurt, a little few grains, a little, you know, natural food. And from there, look what happened. It just grew and grew and grew. I think it was the fact that timing was right, that um, there was an interest in these sorts of forces of change. And we, But I, I will say we never could have imagined that would have gotten to the size that we got to at the end uh, in 2017 with almost 500 stores and 100,000 team members and 44 states and three countries. It all happened. I think we were just at the right place at the right time. Amazing. And and uh, when you started, um, did you have a vision that you wanted to create this giant natural foods business and change the culture, or are you just sort of trying to grow and just work day to no. day? No, the vision and the vision which just deepened and 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 strengthened over time was this idea that healthier food, or high, healthier food was good was better for the individual and better healthier whole food whole with a small w not a big w yeah was just help more health giving. Yeah. More life giving to individuals, and when you when you started reading Wendell Berry, and you started mm-hmm. reading Francis Moore Pay, and you started mm-hmm. reading some of the other early authors, Robert yeah. Rodale, you started yeah. to think about these things. You said, "Wow, this could really make a difference in people's lives." Mm-hmm. And so we started out, and it, there was this tremendous sense of mission or purpose, mm-hmm. and I don't mean ego driven mission. I mean I mean this depth of feeling like you could really make a contribution that I think that I think animated this whole group of people that worked on this and and built out the natural food industry and it was uh, it was this great cause I mean we were taking the hill and saying this is what our generation can do to contribute to a healthier world I don't even know how to describe it as we look back 40 years now and describe to you but I suspect it's similar yeah. to what you feel in your own work is yeah. it, it's a calling of sorts yeah. to say we can do something good here and I think that's really what bound us together as we built uh, the company over the years. And you see, you know, what happens over history is you see these, you know, marginal things that are happening. Yes. You know, and I and I, I was involved in it way back in the 70s, too, and uh, studied biology. Yeah, you were getting your tofu out of buckets and stuff like that, <laughs> right. and so was I, yeah. and buying our maple syrup out of a bulk thing. I mean, yeah, you'd exactly. Thing out of all that. Exactly yeah, and right. I, yeah, and I, you know, I studied, I read Wendell Berry, The Unsettling America, The Soil That's and exactly Health by right. Albert Howard, and read you know once Rob revolution by manu fukuoka and and all these books that we're talking about how do we bring health back to the soil to the planet to our own communities and right. it really influenced a lot of my thinking in fact i actually went to see wendell berry uh, speak when i was at cornell and i was so excited because i wanted to be an organic farmer and i told him and he's like do not do that it's tough work it's horrible <laughs> don't do it i'm like okay so so wendell berry so I became a doctor <laughs> <laughs> when you did good and you're doing fantastic work, and I, and I know that you feel that sense of calling and that sense of responsibility to give. Mm-hmm. I think Wendell Berry talked about eating, eating being an ethical act. And mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, Wendell Berry was my hero. He's still, and now he's become a friend. And mm-hmm. if you read the depth of his writing and mm-hmm. talks about the connection, reconnecting to the land, I mean, he, yeah. he's a phenomenal individual. But yeah. uh, Sir Albert Howard was a uh, was an economist and an agriculturalist in the 20s who talked about the, the great relationship of life between soil, between people, and between health. And if you and think about planet, that, yeah. you talk about the fundamental insight that he's really talking about. We've come back around to that in the fullness of time with much more understanding and much more ability to do something with that to create a healthier world. And it starts with soil, quite frankly, because we're losing six inches of soil for every pound of food we grow in the United States today. Mm-hmm. And the quality of the soil continues to deteriorate. This is where I think uh, sustainable and organic agriculture are making a real contribution to building back up the quality of the soil. Because if it ain't in the soil, yeah. it ain't in the food. Well, that's about as simple that, as that. That's a very powerful thing. I mean, the book Soil and Health is a strange title, yeah, right? right? And yet it, it was back in the 30s when he laid out the connection between, like you said, that he has this quote, the whole subject of health of 
you know, the soil, man, and planet is one great subject, right? It's, That's exactly it's not, right. Right. And I think that... that um, we've, we've mattered to sort of approach nutrition from a reductionist standpoint yeah. as opposed to a holistic standpoint, which I know, which is what you're practicing in your medicine. So. Yeah, and it's all connected. I think, you know, yeah. the, the whole soil issue is, you know, what you said is frightening. We're losing six inches of soil for every pound of food we're producing. Food we're producing right. Topsoil. Yeah. Which, uh, if you track that forward, that means we're going to run out of soil, right? We're mining the soil. We've this huge inheritance of topsoil because of the 60 million bison that roamed around and making extra great topsoil pooping yeah. and peeing all over but now we're yeah. cleaning the soil and that's a carbon sink the quality of the soil is different in that's terms right. of the the nutrient density the minerals the ability to hold carbon hold water so we're, we're having so many different effects on our health on climate on right everything and it, how how do we how do we reverse that because even organic Farming often uses till methods, which disrupt the soil, lead to erosion, and also, you know, may contribute to climate change, even if it's organic. So, how do you how do you kind of navigate yeah. that? Yeah. Well, have you do you garden yourself? I mean, do you I do. I have had soil? a garden. Yes. Okay. It's, uh, so, so do you see? My mom you... had a garden when I was a kid. That's how I got into it, and then had one in college, and pretty much yeah. all the way through. Yeah. Well, for example, the whole Kids Foundation that we have, uh, where we we put uh, salad bars and gardens in public schools. You can see when you put kids' hands in the dirt and when they actually connect with the food mm-hmm. they're growing that their relationship with food changes for life. Mm-hmm. And they appreciate that soil is a living thing that gives that gives the, the plants the, the, the health and nutrition that then feed and sustain you. But look, I mean, I'm a lifelong gardener. I love it. It's the one thing I can do that kind of relaxes me from, uh-huh. from the stress of business. Yeah. And uh, you realize when you, when, you, when you spend time with the soil or in the garden, you realize the, the just, and science is now coming around to recognizing the incredible amount of life force that's in this soil through the microbes and through the through the various entities that are yeah. in the soil and beginning to realize that cultivating and nurturing that supporting that is uh has got an amazing future uh to be to be kind of unfolded so i don't i think you i think first of all you should experience it if you're disconnected from your food why don't you why don't you try gardening why don't you try volunteering why don't you see just what it really is all about yeah and you'll maybe you'll get religion around it number two is how do you support greater sustainable? Uh, oh, but before you jump on that, yeah, you know it's interesting. In the in World War II, America had yeah. victory gardens. That's correct. Too many people were fighting to grow food. That's so right. We, we grow forty percent of our food with home gardens. Right. Which is why I said last <laughs> night the real inflection point in in modern production agriculture was World War II. Was because after World War II is when the the use of the agents that were used in war were converted to pesticides, and and, and a whole new system of agriculture kind of emerged uh, post World War II. But but actually getting in the soil and doing it, you'll see for yourself just how the difference in soil, mm-hmm. uh, alive soil, rich soil. So, But supporting uh, 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 methods of growing that are, whether they're organic or not, but even if they're just better, uh, more sustainable cultural practices, whether adding amendments, compost, building compost, adding yeah. worms, uh, any of these sorts of things that are people are learning about at various places – that's a good way to start to understand the, and appreciate what Albert Howard was talking about mm-hmm. when the soil is what gives us the health. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, we're we, going off in the weeds with soil, but um, it's good. It's I okay, mean, right? It's I all mean, part of it, right? Because that's where the food comes from. That's right? where the food comes from. Well, it doesn't. But let's think about where we are now because we now have. Uh, vertical farming and indoor farming that's yeah. actually growing food without soil, and their premise is that you can you can control the environment, the bugs, the temperature, the water use, the uh, introduction of nutrients directly. So there's hydroponics, but there's also aquaponics, and there's also 
uh, aeroponics, which is to say they're growing food without any sort of soil at all, which is an interesting discussion. If the plant, if they can effectively deliver the nutrients to the plant, well, that's what I wonder. Are, do you feel like that is food? It's a fair question. I mean, I'd ask you that question, Mark. Do you are you comfortable I with wonder. those methods of producing food? It's going to be part of the future. It's yeah. already happening in many cities. Or, uh, they're creating jobs. They're creating new methods of producing food mm-hmm. more efficiently. So the question is, you know, does is there any sort of nutrient difference uh, between the food produced in that way and the food produced outdoors? These are a new set of questions that we didn't really have, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah, I, I thought about that a lot. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Maybe it's organic. Maybe it's healthy. Maybe it's good. But what about the phytonutrient content, which actually comes from the plant being stressed? Like organic plants have higher phytonutrient mm-hmm. content because they're... right because they're actually stressed or what about the unknown things in the soil you know we we say well it's just need npk to grow plants which is nitrogen potassium phosphorus right but maybe there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we're not even aware of well clearly that's the case we, right? we, know, we know that the the phytonutrient profile is much greater than just the three you know potassium phosphorus and nitrogen that just can't be the whole bucket of uh, right. nutrients but i think the future suggests to us that food that we're going to have to produce a lot more food and the food is going to be produced in many different ways. It's going to be delivered in many different ways that we didn't see five and ten years ago. It's going to be mm-hmm. delivered by drones, yeah. for example. But <laughs> Amazon but, but drones. The, <laughs> but the example is we're we're going to need it. And and the question is the question is I think can we measure the the uh, the effectiveness or the the um, efficacy of the foods in different ways that'll help us to support different methods of growing? The answer is probably yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You can. I mean, we're going to grow meat. Content. We're going to grow meat without growing animals. We're going to yeah. grow. Uh, vegetables without actually putting them in the soil. We're yeah. going to grow, uh, you know, new types of foods from new types of, uh, uh, of plants that we're not currently cultivating for for human use. So yeah. the whole thing is is evolving very very quickly. I guess what I'd like to see is that, uh, as we talked about, I'd like to see that our that we kind of agree on a goal that we're building a more uh, sustainable, healthier food system mm-hmm. with better outcomes than we're seeing right now. That you well mm-hmm. know because you you treat them in your clinic. Yeah, and and that we and that we kind of have some. We're measuring kind of our efforts to to build a healthier world, and we know right now that that's just not the case. With the you know twenty percent of our GDP being spent on chronic disease and uh, you know preventable, yeah. and and the the condition, the disparity in, in life expectancy that we're experiencing throughout the United States right now, these are this is not acceptable, no. and uh, this is a future we need to change through through taking some very positive steps. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into the Doctor's Pharmacy Podcast. My goal as a functional medicine physician is to discover what it means to achieve optimal health and share those discoveries with all of you. Today I want to share one of my biggest tips for busy folks. We're going to talk about what I call food emergencies. Now when your blood sugar starts to drop, you're hardwired to eat anything and everything in sight. Thinking you can use willpower to control your hunger or cravings contradicts the science of how your brain controls your behavior. See, the more willpower you use, the more it backfires. You'll find yourself automatically overeating and binging or just eating whatever happens to be in front of you. I call it drive-by eating. This is what I call a food emergency. Even I fall prey to a food emergency from time to time when I'm traveling or I'm in an airport. Sometimes I get stuck, but I usually put stuff in my bag so I don't get like that. To avoid food emergencies, I recommend having an emergency snack pack at all times on you, either in your bag, in your backpack, in your car, somewhere where you can get it when you don't have to think about what you're doing. Now I'm on the go probably 90% of the time, so it's important for me to have my favorite foods and snacks easily available. An emergency food pack almost guarantees that you won't make terrible food choices. 
I never leave home without some snacks that contain a little bit of protein and healthy fats. And this combo keeps my blood sugar stable and keeps me feeling good and having energy all day. So what are my favorites? Well, I love grass-fed beef jerky or turkey jerky or bison. Sometimes if I can get elk jerky, that's awesome. Nuts and seeds are always a staple. My favorite is a mixture of almonds, macadamia nuts, and pumpkin seeds. I also take travel packs of nut butters, these little packets that are super awesome. You can stick in your pocket. I keep a can of wild salmon also with me in case I'm in a pinch for lunch. A little smelly, but it's okay. Uh, always keep dark chocolate on hand for a tasty treat. And if I'm traveling short distances, I'll pack things like hard-boiled eggs, berries, cut up vegetables, maybe a little guacamole, hummus, and a little plastic container or glass container may be better. Uh, simple planning in advance can keep you focused, satiated, and happy. Even if you don't think you'll be hungry, always keep healthy snacks around. That way, you'll stop yourself from reaching for something that you're going to regret and that isn't going to make you feel great. So thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. So Whole Foods really is a disruptor. And, uh, you know, was on the margins and now is... We've been called a lot of things, but thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> coming towards the center. We've been called whole, a lot of things, yeah. The whole paycheck and all that, right? A whole but, Foods, uh, Holy Foods, Foods and Half Foods and every, every other thing. That's that was right. a great thing you said the other day. You said, I don't want to eat Half Foods, I want to eat Whole Foods. No, what I said is this. <laughs> that when we went to the inner city communities, people said, don't bring us Half Foods. Yeah. We have we want to have the same choice as other people yeah. have, you know, but yes. So so what's happening now is a, is a radical shift. I mean, we're here at the Milken Conference on the future of health right and i'm just shocked even year over year mm -hmm. the change in consciousness about food there's a whole mm -hmm. session on food as medicine there's talking about nutrition sustainability climate change i mean you were on a panel with dan barber from blue hill and michael right. milken and senator cassidy and it was fascinating to hear this discussion about food in a very different way so what i've heard you say is that you see there's a big sh shift happening in the culture and business and the evolution of our food system I wonder if you could share in a little detail, what are those changes you're seeing? What makes mm -hmm. you feel hopeful? And mm -hmm. can we really fight big food or not? I mean, or mm -hmm. should we not fight them? Should we join them? What is the right strategy to move the food system from one that is a disease-promoting food system that damages the climate, that damages the soil, that creates inequities in our society, that mm -hmm. leads to challenges of national security where 70% can't fight because they're not fit? I mean, how do we, how do we deal with this whole yeah. conglomerate of issues? Well, I think let, let's just start with uh, you know where where are we are at the present time. I think I think we see uh, we're, we're at a place where there are, there are kind of two uh, food production systems that are on the landscape. One is the modern uh, production agriculture system that is uh, that America has pioneered uh, and that exports around the world and uh, tends to get vilified. I know many of the farmers feel like they're seen as as, as uh, not not good stewards of the land or using too many chemicals. And many in the local organic community say those sorts of things. I'm not sure that's helpful. I think that modern production agriculture, uh, particularly the, the leading edge of it, is really trying hard to become more sustainable. Mm -hmm. They may not get to organic, but I think we have to approach them and appreciate them in constructive ways to encourage them to make steps forward because their scale matters in creating mm -hmm. a healthier future. You see some of the more responsible companies out there making gigantic steps at Unilever, for example, with their sustainable living plan. Paul Pullman, the CEO, one of the best in the world, in my opinion, has incorporated an ethos of sustainability in the charter of that company mm -hmm. and is making meaningful impact in their supply chain. So 
At the same time, we have the local organic food system, which I think is now proven to be a viable economic path to market that's creating real jobs, real economy, real gains, real health gains. I think mm-hmm. what we, we've approached this point where these two are kind of touching and can learn from one another, and, and we need both to contribute to this healthier mm-hmm. food system. And so I think I'd start with, a, do we can we create a constructive dialogue where there's not the criticism back and forth, mm-hmm. but how do we learn, how do we grow, how do we mm-hmm. encourage, how do we find common ground? But what I see at this point is that, A, we've reached a critical mass where people now understand that the quality of food actually does matter with respect to the health of the individual, the community, the planet, the world. That was not true 10, 20, 30 years ago. Well, it was, was up for debate. More calories. Up for debate, or the weirdos over there talking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really not the case now. We Food's sexy. We're, it's back in the conversation <laughs> in the national dialogue in ways that we've, you know, we just didn't see 20 years ago. Maybe before World War II when everybody sat around the table, but only three out of 10 Americans eat, a, eat three meals a day at home. Together. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way anymore. So, so, But we're at this place where, okay, there's a kind of a baseline set that food matters in whatever way you think about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, then second of all, let's look at the changes. We have a generational change. We're moving from the boomers to the millennials. Millennials are now in the majority. They're moving into leadership positions. They have a different approach to life, just like our generation did. They have yeah. a value set that says, I expect brands to behave responsibly. I want them to be accountable. I want them to be connected to my life in some way that's meaningful. I want to see them do good things in the world. Mm-hmm. We have a change in technology, a revolution in technology that's bringing new types of capabilities, whether it's to communication, whether it's to the processing of information, whether it's to the options that customers have in terms of receiving goods and services. We've just never seen this revolution, which is yeah. a, a, a proceeding extraordinarily. We have a change in capital markets that are saying, that uh, we're willing to look at this food and agriculture space in a time that we, it's it's a lot of investors. It's been an underinvested in, category yeah. for many years because it just wasn't really pretty boring. And now people see, wow, the, the combination of food and technology and these choices is worth deploying capital here. So we have an interest in the sector that's allowing the pace of innovation, the pace of investment to move to move faster. But I was shocked because even big food companies are investing in these sectors. Like I, I well, they are because they can't like grow Tyson because was investing in Beyond Meat or something. Well. They are yeah, and, and, hundred million dollars ridiculous amounts of money. Well, they well, and that's not ridiculous amount for them because no. they're fairly large. But yeah. the fact is, they see that this future is emerging as well, and and their job is to grow their company. And they realize they need to start putting some chips down in this future where it's going. So you've got this this confluence of factors all happening that I think bring us, and you have the consumer, the customer, ultimately saying. I want different food choices. You have mm-hmm. a whole new generation of entrepreneurs creating new companies and everything from seed to table. You have this, what I call inflection point, where we're now creating the new world order of food and agriculture from the ground up. It's literally yeah. happening before our eyes right now because the demand has shifted over here. I want different proteins. I want more plant-based foods. I mm-hmm. want uh, more responsibly grown meat. I want yeah. more accountability for my companies. I want to understand how this food affects my body. Tell me, I, I don't want to stay sick. I want to get well. So you have this extraordinary time that we're sitting in right now where this thing really is being reshaped. And with challenge and comes great opportunity. And I think that's... Uh, you know the same the same thing for your line of work is mm-hmm. there's now an appreciation for functional medicine. We're just talking about Alzheimer's, right? Yeah. Okay, now you can approach a subject that everyone's just gone. God, what are we going to do about this? You you actually have some answers. Yeah. So I, I think we find ourselves at a very exciting and creating time if we just will have the we'll have the we'll have the willingness and the courage 
to say, let's go and create that uh, world that we think can be more more healthy, more inclusive, more mm-hmm. humane, more compassionate, more more diverse, uh, and, and more responsible. Yeah, that's true. You know, a lot of people have thought of Whole Foods as sort of elitist, but actually things start on the margins like that at that level, but they filter in and they actually influence the culture and they influence, like yeah. we're seeing now, that move towards healthy food, the move towards organic, the move towards yeah. rethinking our food system. And it challenges the paradigm in a yeah. way that yeah. it seems to be dismissed, but now it becomes more the center, which is pretty amazing. Well, let me respond to that, because I, I often get a little defensive about that, but to say the Whole Foods was elitist, elitist because because we started on the margin and we were only appealing to two or three percent of the mm-hmm. people, and perhaps even at our peak, we got up to 20% of people. Mm-hmm. But you know what, so what? I mean, are you one of those people standing on the sidelines saying, "Hey, it's elitist"? What are you right. doing about it to make to make stuff become more information? Also, we were there building a company, yeah. doing our very best to continue to push. So maybe things need to start there, but it's not For about sure. where it started. It's no. about where it's exactly. trying to go and what sort of influence it's having. And and now it matters and, more to everybody and everything. It's like the, you know, it's, it's like smartphones. You know, they were only available to those who could afford it, and not everybody had them. And now, pretty much, you go into some village in Africa, and someone's got a smartphone. Well, that's you know. right. Well, I mean, I I mean, I think. Just, I think it's like you have to start somewhere. The point is, do you start? Are you doing something mm-hmm. to move the, towards a, a healthier future? That's what we did, and we yeah. built those. We did never say it was the going to the grocery store is a voluntary activity. You don't have to go to Whole Foods. Mm, you no. can go wherever you want. Yeah, and we just kept building, and as we kept building, we get larger. We had the ability to try to make yeah. more of an impact through different activities, setting standards for different categories of foods, or building in the inner cities of America. Yeah. Whatever steps we took, um, as we tried to move towards more uh, to, towards the trend, I think of democratizing access to high quality food and to quality food for more people. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I, I, I want to sort of touch on that because, you know, I don't think people are aware of some of the activities of Whole Foods to go into Detroit, New Orleans, yeah. Chicago, to underserved areas, South Side of Chicago, and Deep City in Detroit, where hadn't been a grocery store since the 1950s or something, and and actually try to work with those communities, not go in and impose what you're doing, but actually work with them, yeah. collaborate, and then create a lot of spinoff activities that support those communities. Someone shared a story of going into uh, Whole Foods in New Orleans. Uh, it was an African-American guy who said, you know, I saw my brother got shot, and you know, I don't want that to happen to me. I'm going to learn how to cook. And the story know. from last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and I was yeah. like, wow. You know, that's that's amazing. You know, people yeah. people who you wouldn't think would be attracted or go there. And I think uh, people yeah. are longing for that. And so I, I think I'd love you to share a little bit about whole cities, whole kids, sure. the activities you're doing, and, and what why they matter and how they how they can influence uh, the the um, the spread and the the sort of dealing with some of the inequities in our food system. Yeah. Well, it was actually at Milken many years ago that I first made the statement, um, you know, I want to do something about elitism and racism, and I want I want our company to try to make a contribution towards those forces in society. And it was kind of a provocative statement, and it got a, a lot of coverage. But to be clear, Whole Foods is a team effort. There was a great team there. We all worked together. This was my particular passion. Mm. Whole Foods' uh, core contributions, I think, around just raising the standards on the quality of food and, and trying to create a different sort of workplace around love and respect. But this particular effort was saying at that point we had some 400 stores. Uh, we, we could afford uh, and to go into and, and try this idea of taking healthier food, which when we set out to, 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 to build the company, we, was, we didn't say healthier food for some communities. We said healthier food for the world. Yeah. Which means that we needed to challenge ourselves to go into more communities that perhaps didn't have the type of access that you and I enjoy every single day. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you look at the 
government statistics, there's over 6,000 communities that don't have, by their own definition, access to fresh, healthy food. And all you have to do is go look at the public health statistics to see the consequences of that. Now, the reason those consequences, health consequences are there are the result of a number of factors and no one's been able to pin it down and it's just the fact that there's all the fast food joints around and they don't have what we have. But the fact is we decided to try to do something about it and our first effort was in the city of Detroit in the at the corner of John R. and Mac. We built a uh, a small store uh, and opened in June 5th, 2013. And it was my proudest day as a grocer, really, because we spent three years building connection with the community. But uh, And we partnered that with a, a program called Let's Talk Food because mm-hmm. we learned it's the access, it's also the education yeah. and the cultural relevancy that makes that happen. So yeah. I've seen firsthand that people are uh, the... You know, they're living their lives with a different set of challenges. Maybe they're on the snap. Maybe they're used to shopping twice a month. Maybe that the, the choices they have, are, but the public transportation system doesn't work, so they can't get to the store. So, you know, these sorts of um, efforts on our part, we, we did it because we wanted to stretch into our mission of bringing healthier foods to the world. We wanted to try taking that. And I can tell you that as a company, we learned so much more from the city of Detroit than I think we gave to the city of Detroit. We learned about what it means to truly partner with the community. We learned what it means to truly listen to people mm. about what they truly needed and where they were and to meet them where they were. We learned about how they saw where Whole Foods was elite yeah. and that some things were just not relevant for them. We learned about uh, local products that they made. It. We, we gave them shelf space. We, we yeah. put 50 new suppliers on the shelves in Whole Foods uh-huh. and helped them to start their companies to create the jobs. We partnered yeah. with the local uh, public markets to be able to help facilitate uh, that relationship. So uh, I, I know I'm getting wound up yeah, on this yeah, subject, but I am <laughs> I am really passionate about this this mission which i talked about it at the beginning when we started it's like if you if you live your life from a sense of purpose and values and if those for me are wanting to create a healthier world and with whatever abilities or whatever abilities our company had it takes you to places that you wouldn't that, that are not just safe mm-hmm. but are places where you're willing to say all right let's stretch into what that can do and in this case it took us to these four cities of detroit chicago newark and new orleans to try to make a contribution to make a contribution to what the community themselves already wanted which is yeah. a healthier future they are losing they their citizens they, they are telling me the pastors are telling me their parishioners are dying mm-hmm. they can see the health mm-hmm. consequences they themselves say they want different choices mm-hmm. you go there to try to support their own desire for a healthier future not your idea of what their healthier future is their idea of what a healthier future is and you go there in service of that and in in contribution towards that and you mentioned last night i'll just finish with this you mentioned about we went to New Orleans in partnership with the Broad Community Connection, which was a nonprofit trying to revitalize the mid-city neighborhood. Liberty's Kitchen, which is a nonprofit startup that takes disadvantaged youth, teaches them culinary skills, and skills, and puts them, tries to give them a, a path forward in the yeah. in the world, which is the story you heard last night. Yeah. With uh, First Line Schools, which is the the group that's supporting the charter schools in New Orleans, and with Tulane Medical School, who opened the first teaching kitchen Amazing. for doctors, and we were all in the same building. In where a half a block away was the Katrina watermark of these buildings that were abandoned and not used. And together, we created a, a wonderful, uh, creative sense of change in Mid City New Orleans mm-hmm. uh, that's still there. And um, and anyways, the point of the story is that. Um, Everyone here that cares about a healthier future, everyone that's listening to your podcast, everyone that's your friend or associate that you're working with, if we share a common goal of a healthier future, it has to be for 
uh, all communities and all people, not just for some people. And I think that's where, that's where, that's how we push through the elitism thing, and we say that this is not just for some people. This oh, is for all people. You know, so. what were the learnings out of Detroit five years in now? You mentioned mm-hmm. some of them, but what what change in the community did they did they welcome it? Did they change their diets? Is there health outcomes that you've seen change? Like what what have you noticed? Because you're in a tough neighborhood and mm-hmm. with a very strange product for that neighborhood. I mean, I remember being in Cleveland. We ran a cooking class uh, in a very poor area, for healthy cooking, and 300 African American women showed up desperate to learn how to make healthier food, <laughs> and they didn't know what kale was or an avocado was. <laughs> you know, it was it was fascinating. And, and so what, what has happened in the shift in that? Yeah, well, the truth of it is they don't really want to hear from you or me in a, in a, in a black community. Yeah. They want to hear from Dr. Akul Woolwright that you met yesterday that we yeah. hired to, who's a PhD in nutrition who started teaching a classes called Let's Talk Food and can, can talk in a culturally relevant fashion yeah. from where they are. Like they're how you cook the greens traditionally you were taught and to, to not use the lard and to make shifts. So, I mean, she's yeah. able to... She was able to talk to them about, and, and, and she's got 300 plus people showing up in her classes. And I know uh, from being there and watching it that she's created so much uh, meaningful change in, in their lives. I, do I have the metrics for you? I don't have them with me right here. I can get them for you yeah. from her program. She's been teaching five years now. So, uh, And more importantly, she started to deputize or train other folks who are now teaching in the churches and in the community centers in Detroit as a result of her efforts. And we're now taking that program through whole cities to other areas to start those educational programs. My real goal, and John started a wonderful thing called the uh, uh, Intensive Health Intensive, which is a week-long session where you just focus on food and health. And we want to do that in the inner city. Um, and, so and you have that and for your employees, but you know, we do that for our team members and our, and, and we will, I think ultimately open up to our customers, but, and, and there you actually, you measure your metrics and then you measure them at the end of the week and you're given the tools to live a healthier life going forward. We start with our sickest team members who really mm-hmm. can benefit from food as medicine, but I want to bring that program to the inner city yeah. and adopt it culturally so that those sorts of tools and resources are available again for more communities. I think the future we're talking about together that you're involved in that I involved in from whatever skill set we bring it's just got to involve we've got to break through and involve more yeah. people and that means it's got to be more diverse in its approach we've got to be open to reaching people where they are and in ways that they can hear and listen and respond to and they got to be part of that creating mm-hmm. that solution yeah I mean and I see Whole Foods as a, as a drugstore <laughs> <laughs> you know, because what's never heard that one before. Yeah, it's a drugstore. It's a pharmacy with an F, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like Doctor's Pharmacy. Doctor's Pharmacy. When I go through the aisle, I go, okay, what are these things doing? And I, yeah. I have the knowledge to say, okay, well, this has glucosinolates and this has lycopene and this has, you know, various galactocatechins. And, yeah. You know, well, Mike said that last night, didn't he? He said that the grocery store is the 21st century pharmacy, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I know there's a grocery store in Cleveland called Heinen's and they have uh-huh. a health coach and nutritionist in the store. And then your doctor writes a prescription. You go to the store and you get work through the program. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing because people don't know how to shop. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to cook. They don't know these basic skills. So you're bridging those gaps. It's, it's quite. It's well, one part. This is a question back for you. People are um, people are overwhelmed with the amount of information coming at them about nutrition. I mean, you're a doctor, but they, they you know the microbiomes are out there now. Personalized mm-hmm, medicine. Do mm-hmm, I eat this? Do I do, mm-hmm. do I eat that? 
what do I do? How, how do I make sense of this? I have a busy life. <laughs> what do you say to your to your patients when they come and say, I'm overwhelmed? I say, read, what my, am I supposed I said, to do? read my book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? Which is why I wrote it, because people are so confused. You know, They are. They are so confused. So I, I basically, that's what I, I wrote the book for, because that was a question I was always asked. And my patients were just like vegan, paleo, keto, intermittent fasting, whole you know, low fat, high fat. I mean, it's it's enough to make people well, what we've seen up. is people start on some of these things well-intentioned, and then they don't, it's hard for them to hold on to it. Right? Yeah. So there's something that's being lost. We're given the information, but it's it, the, you know we see in the intensives people fall off and yeah. they go back to their patterns. So what, what would you say about what, how do you say to your patients is like, no, stick with this, or you know, what changes do you see that are actually sustainable? I mean. Well, that's a very good question. So I I always say functional medicine, I've studied the uh, intricacies of biology. How do you change biology? How do you Mm -hmm. affect the immune system, affect Mm -hmm. the microbiome, Mm -hmm. optimize health on a molecular, biochemical, genetic level? Mm -hmm. And and I did that for years and would get people better if they did what I asked them to. (laughs) And then I realized that, you know, the other part of the equation is behavior change. Mm -hmm. So I know how to change biology, but how do you change behavior? Mm -hmm. So I really began to study that. And I I had a really great insight when I went Mm -hmm. to Haiti after the earthquake Mm -hmm. with Paul Farmer, where he cured TB and AIDS in the second poorest country in the world, the worst uh, poorest country in the the Western Hemisphere, where half the people live on less than a dollar a day, and they don't have sanitation, clean water. Everybody given up on these people with TB and AIDS because it's too hard to treat. You need, you know, make sure you take the drugs at a certain time and there's a schedule and they don't have a watch and it's like basic stuff. So you realize this wasn't a medical problem. This was a social problem mm-hmm. and, it, and they need a social cure. Mm-hmm. And he realized that the, the causes of these diseases were what he called structural violence, sort of the social, economic, mm-hmm. political conditions that drive disease. And then I began to realize that we call chronic disease NCDs, non-communicable diseases. But that's absolutely false. They are totally communicable. You know, Chris Stocks' work at Harvard showed that uh, if you look at obesity, mm-hmm. you're more likely to be overweight if your friend's are overweight than if your family's overweight. Mm-hmm. And if your friend's friend is overweight, you're still more likely to be overweight. So it's the social connections. Uh, we know that your zip code is a more powerful determinant of your health than your genetic code. Right. right? So I realized that the social support was really key. And, and I realized that we needed to build people together in communities and groups to help support each other. And that's how you change behavior, through accountability, feedback, support. And, and that's what we did with the Daniel Plan with the faith-based community in, in, uh, in Saddleback Church where we got 15,000 people lose a quarter million pounds together in small groups without a doctor, nutritionist, health coach, nothing, just the curriculum, which was based on functional medicine and how to yeah. eat to get healthy. Uh, and uh, not only did people lose weight, but all these health conditions went away, autoimmune disease, digestive yep. problems, yep. migraines, depression. Yep. It was quite stunning. And and it was the power of these small groups. And that's what we're doing at Cleveland Clinic. We've got Yeah, that you mentioned that when we were taking a walk the other night. I was really interested that yeah. you actually are bring, people can come in groups to the yeah. Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. You're finding that the outcomes change Almost just by being part of a group. <laughs> yeah. They're facing these problems together. Yeah, uh, their, their results improve, which is amazing. And yeah. they share stories. They collaborate. Mm-hmm. They share recipes. They share yeah. tricks and struggles. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an extraordinary thing. And I think we all are social beings. That's why we've seen the explosion of social networks. But it yeah. may be disconnecting as opposed to being not you know yeah. Facebook, but face to face. Which is, by the way, actually that, that you know people say that retail is. It's transform, transforming, which is, but it's why physical retail, physical stores will always remain. And yeah. that is because, because humans want to go where humans are. Yeah. Humans going to go where there's connection and, and spontaneity, as, as my friend Jack Dorsey says. And that's why five years from now, 70% of business will still be done in physical stores mm-hmm. because people want that environment where they connect. 
Yeah. There's no substitute for that as a human being. Yeah, you know? people can go have coffee at home, but they want to sit in a coffee shop and work because they'll yeah, exactly. get people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Same for the grocery store. So yeah, the behavior change is key. But you know, what's, what's interesting around the peer model is that that's why we see the change in our food system. You mm-hmm. know, when we see people, our friends and our colleagues and our family members changing their diet and looking at how they're doing things and, and the, the culture as a whole is starting to shift its thinking. It sort of brings people out from the margins into the center and really creates a shift. So I think that's it's what's happening and it's it's powerful. It's powerful. It yeah. is powerful. Yeah. 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 So um, the the other thing I want to talk to you about is food waste. Now uh, yeah. you know the statistics are staggering. You know, there's um one point two trillion dollars globally of our foods, I mean, in the United States is our food system, of that 480 billion is thrown out or wasted, which is almost half, 40% of our food is wasted. And people are saying, we don't have enough food, we have to grow more food, we need GMOs, we need, you know, more more access to food, there's food insecurity, we've got, you know, people starving around the world, there's 800 million people who go to bed hungry, although there's over 2 billion mm-hmm. that go to bed fat, which is pretty frightening, <laughs> you know, it's more than twice, but... I've never know, heard it said so starkly as that, Yeah, there you uh, go, okay. <laughs> so, you know, when you... When you think about the food waste problem, not only is it is mm-hmm. it just wasteful because you waste everything from you know the seeds to the labor to the soil to the water to the you know to the human effort, human effort, the labor, right, exactly. the exactly. production of the food, all of those things, the right. retail, the, that's right. The, it's just massive, and and also the effect on climate. Mm-hmm. And so um, you've been very focused on this, and Whole Foods is a grocery store, so I'm sure you have a lot of waste as part of that. And so you've really been active in this. Can you share some of your work around this and yeah. what you do at Whole Foods and yeah. some of the other projects like Food Maven that you're working on? Yeah, I can. Well, let's just talk. Let's just make sure we, you know, because the people hear the word food waste. You know, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> but yeah, what does it mean actually? But I mean, I think your forty percent number is a good number uh, in terms of the amount of the food that's produced. We're really good at producing food in America. We've we've gotten exceptionally good at producing very high yields. We're pretty good at eating it. We're not very good at using all of it, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we are right now. And we've come to a point in consciousness where people are able to actually think about this. Where I think the first last number of years it was just like, well, we got to produce this stuff and we got to figure out how to do it. And now we're now we're at this place that, as we said. The qual- there's sort of been a baseline established that the quality of food matters or certain things set in place. The food conversations evolved to a point where we can actually talk about, well, wait a second, we're wasteline. 25% of landfills is food. Yeah. It's just thrown away. So, but and why is that I want to make sure just why your listeners understand it's not, it's not the scraps on the whole food salad bars at the end of the day. That's not really – the tonnage is more the mismatch between supply and demand in the food system is where a lot of the food waste happens. So let me give you an example. Let's say uh, a lettuce producer sends a, a, a couple pallets of butter lettuce to the Whole Foods Distribution Center in Denver. Okay, the, the produce gets, it could be any grocer's distribution center, get, it gets kicked, which in parla- grocery parlance means that it was not to spec or to, it's perfectly good food, but it just doesn't hit the it's cosmetic ugly spec. ugly food. Whatever, or it's the too cosmetic small. Spec. So where does that go? But if you send it back to the farmer, by the time it gets back, it's no good. So there's nowhere for it to go. So what happens now is it goes to the dumps or it goes mm-hmm. to uh, Salvation Army or somewhere like that. So what, 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 is, what Food Maven has done, the company I'm working with based out of Colorado Springs, and I think the first, the, it's based in de- basically in the Denver metro, the first company that's actually put together old school logistics of, of picking up the food uh, and then making a market for it into the retail food service industry. So they're saying, hey, they collect it and they put it with new world uh, technology, meaning creating a platform uh, with, a, with data and AI that's helping to learn quickly as to where the match could be. 
and by signing contracts with a, is signing a contract with a major hotel chain is looking for help with respect to that. So you have now yeah. where you're making you're basically using markets to to solve a problem. Like food service providers, people. That, well, yeah, I mean these people buy a lot of food, but they're looking for a deal. Essentially, they're going to chop it up for different meals. There's no reason they can't use perfectly good food. So in real time, what happens is Food Maven picks it up and warehouses it and then makes a market for it into an, into a market that hasn't really been served in that way. They get a deal. The grower gets something, and Food Maven takes a cut for its service. It's a win-win-win Everybody business wins, model. Yeah. And so it's cheaper. Have, so another example, let's say a, a chicken uh, production company produces 200 pounds of chicken, fresh chicken breast. The customer, in the end, only wants 100 pounds of it because because we don't know in retail like, who's going to come in that day or how much they're going to buy. I mean, it's as good as we're good. We're not, we can't predict it. Sure. Like, so what happens to that 100 pounds? Do they freeze it? Now they've got an extra expense. They've got an extra labor. They've got to worry about the inventory. Yeah. Do they sell it off price? No, that, that undercuts the brand. Where does it do? They got nowhere. They got nowhere for it to go. It's a problem. So again, Food Maven steps in, takes that, and makes a market for it. Again, at a discount. But the chicken producer gets something for their work. The, the, the food service folks get a deal, yeah. and the food is used. So there's a good example, and there's others that are starting Imperfect to say food, Imperfect is, Produce is another company that's a, that's doing a nice job taking and on a subscription basis to homes, saying, "Hey, we'll give you uh, some of these off form produce." And, and Whole Foods, in fact, has tried some pilot programs offering that in the produce department, saying "Ugly fruit, ugly produce." But yeah, but, but really, it's a structural problem here that doesn't really, it's never really had a new world or a new era solution yeah. employing some of the, te te the technology platforms and the data to make markets and that's what I think Food Maven is doing so we have uh, as you point out we have 20 million kids in this country that don't have food every morning so we have mm places for the food to go and we have a lot of people that are eating more food than they really need to but mostly what we have is a sort of a standard and we have there's a lot of food that gets wasted in the fields yeah some innovative programs that are gleaning and taking into food districts but the the purchasing policies of school districts are such that they can't really use that there's mm -hmm. food safety concerns there's mm -hmm. a lot of these sort of institutional roadblocks to getting this food into the system. And a lot of those are being uh, taken on now by some of these different nonprofits. But uh, I think the main point here that you're making is that for the first time, the UN has made food waste a, a concern and, and put it on the on the, on the the whiteboard of saying, this is something we're gonna do something. So it's surfaced now in a way that people can actually mm -hmm. begin to really think about and be more aware of. Uh, and, and in fact, in, in the hometown of Austin, where I am, the city of Austin has just passed an ordinance requiring all their businesses to have a food waste provision. In other words, to make provision for how much food they waste and how they're using that. That's the first time I've seen uh, a government actually say we're going to incorporate this into our uh, a code of responsibility for a business. Now, how that's going to work, too early to say, it just passed. The University of Texas is now dealing with what they're going to do in their own food service business with respect to this ordinance. But So we're seeing signs of life that people realize, yeah. wow, we got to stop wasting the food. Yeah, even you know, in Denmark, for example, has had composting. So you can't throw food in the garbage. You've got to, it's mandatory composting. San Francisco's done the same thing, you know, where, where even your home waste has to be recycled. Yeah, but I'd rather see it. You know, I mean, I get the regulations important, but I'd rather see it come out of people's awareness that man, mm -hmm. we're, it takes a lot to grow this food, yeah. and and we need this food. And so, how do we think differently about our responsibilities in uh, in, in in using all of it? And not only that, in terms of and Chef Dan, by the way, as you know, is, yeah. is created all sorts of meals out of out of 
peelings and clippings, but also just stuff that people wouldn't use. He's actually to highlight the fact that you can actually cook yeah. great meals with with uh, food that otherwise would go to the well, dump, like the potato the peels and the carrot peels. And I had that meal. It was like a, it was like a scraps yeah. Well, well, well that's dramatic. But I'm saying you could take that chicken breast or that butter lettuce. It's perfectly food. It may not look as good as what yeah. you might want to buy. But it, the point is that you can make a per- it's perfectly nutritious. So you have to and make we, ugly food sexy by saying it's got more phytonutrients, it's better for you. It's, right. you know, it's saving the planet. I mean, it, 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 needs, a, it needs a PR campaign. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, it's, it's risen now to the air where people realize this is a serious concern because there's so much food that is being basically going to the dumps. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's a chance to really do something about it. And now. the reason it's bad going to the dumps is not just that it's wasted, but it's uh, in a huge contributor to climate change. Uh, right. Because it releases methane, which right. is a much higher uh, sort of toxic uh, gas into the, the environment and it also um mm-hmm. it, paul hawkins works as the third solution of all solutions to draw down carbon it's if yeah. we fixed food waste it would be the number three best way to reduce uh, carbon in the environment which well, like, is well you know another thing that's happening mark is the upcycling has emerged there's now at least that i'm aware of 15 companies that are coming to market with customer brand you know cust- to the customer with what they call upcycled product, which is to say they're going up into the manufacturing process and the byproduct of manufacturing, they're turning that into upcycled chips or Mm -hmm. other products they're bringing to market that are more fully using Mm -hmm. the food products at the point of manufacture. So keep an eye out for upcycled products. That's pretty cool. And or taking, you know, the waste stream and then turning it into pet food or some other mm-hmm. usable form. So, mm-hmm. so the, 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 the ingenuity of American capitalism is beginning to say, all right, how do we use some of these byproducts or these products and create new revenue streams? The upcycled companies are cool. Um, Quinn Snacks is one example of that if you want to check it out. Um, and then on the pet food side, there was a, a company out of Colorado that's actually taking the waste stream. And, and then Whole Foods does kind of cool and, and, and actually takes some of that in banana boxes from produce and then sends it back uh, where it's made into compost. And then we sell it back to customers as a garden amendment. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of creative ways to use this that just so we, we grow it, we eat it, let's use it all. So could Whole Foods get to zero food waste? Hard to do. Uh, you know, the health department has a lot of regulations about food safety for good reasons. A lot of the food, it really bothers our team members at the end of the night when the food from the hot bars and they say, where does that food go? Well, we have to throw it away for food safety concerns. So uh, we're not there yet. We have several stores. The ones in Colorado, for example, are really close to, to zero food waste. But it's, it's a good goal. I know Dave Lewis that runs Tesco in the UK has set that as a goal for his supermarket chain and is mm-hmm. kind of leading the charge amongst grocers to show people how they can do it. Many manufacturers have set that as a goal. We're not there yet. We're a long way from there yet. But the point is, it's the exp- in the conversation now. And they have all the expiration dates, but they're, they're not necessarily, it's best buy, but it's not really bad after the expiration date, right? Yeah, you watch the customers pick up those labels, they think, they, they think oh, God, I'm going to freak out if I eat this. And that's, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. The point is that it's the ingenuity of the business that's going to, I think, and, and the customers are ready now for products that are upcycled or products that are that are made from waste streams. Yeah. They understand that this needs to happen, and you're seeing the beginning or the birth of a whole other set of products that I think customers are going to support. I heard some crazy stories about some kids who were dumpster diving. You know, I, I don't know, it was a major grocery chain, and they had all this perfectly fine food that was in dumpster, like pounds and pounds of meat that, you know, was just 
little past due. And uh, and the the store folks came out and got the police after them and protecting their garbage, which I thought was well. We actually did that ourselves. We we actually in California stores we had a company come in and audit our dumpsters and they so uh-huh. they laid out the tarp and they went in the dumpster and they laid uh-huh. all the stuff that was in there. Uh-huh. And uh, you, you can see that what there's some truth to that. That yeah. it's uh, you know when you're trimming lettuce or you're cutting a steak. You know, if you see a little bit of this and that, it's just easier to say, hey, I don't want to take a chance on the customer safety, on the quality standards. I'm yeah. going to just toss it. And there is some rationale for that. Yeah. But when you actually get in there and look at a dumpster and you see what does go out, you say, wow, maybe there's a way that this, okay, granted, it may not make the counter anymore, but there's a place it can go and be used productively. Yeah. And I think that's where we are. There's a new business, dumpsters. <laughs> Save me. Yeah, when you say it like that, it's <laughs> so great. But yeah. No, but it's awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, w- one of the things that um, you know you, you're you're uh, doing is you're helping a lot of other companies, and you're seeing the trends. So, can you share some of the things that you're seeing in the marketplace that give us hope and that help you think about the future and what the future of food is? I can. I appreciate your asking. Here's a couple of examples. I think you know this this confluence of food and, and technology. I'll give you a company a couple a company called IUNU. Uh, Seattle is using computer vision. Uh, he's built a robotic system uh, to essentially measure uh, indoor production, and uh, but this in case floral, but it'll move to vegetable. Where uh, by visual imaging and then using the data analysis, is able to help the producers find 20 to 50 percent more efficiency in their production, waste less water, uh, you know, grow more efficiently, more food per per inch in terms of the production and the capital investment. So. Uh, what's cool is I think ultimately that platform could measure attributes as well as just mm-hmm. just the metrics of say water or growth measurements. So that's an interesting company, and I think you're going to see uh, and you are seeing a whole new suite of tools in uh, ag tech or production tech that are that are that are you know I think beneficial to uh, to making uh, food healthier, but also just making this making us be able to use the production resources we have more efficiently and productively. Mm-hmm. Uh, another company I love is called the Food Corridor. Uh, I love the CEO, Ashley Colpart. What she's doing is essentially built the software platform for the uh, community kitchens. So she's huh. given them the back-end tool set that allows them to rent out their commercial kitchen space for entrepreneurs to produce products. And her next product, I think, will be to Uberize uh, those spaces in them so that people can just pop on and say, all right, I want to go create a brand. I want to create a product. And for example, mm-hmm. when we were opening our stores in inner cities, we wanted to support, you know, 25 to 50 new brands. Where are they going to produce their food? Mm-hmm. You know, they need a commercial kitchen, a safe place to produce their food. So the food corridor is trying to address that need through the use of building out software and tools. Mm-hmm. I think that's another example of uh, I, I like um, Once Upon a Farm is uh, my friend John Forker who's launched this new fresh baby food uh, nationwide and essentially said we're not going to just do it uh, you know pasteurized we're going to do it fresh for you know and, and bringing mm. that sort of innovation to that co- category is mm-hmm. is kind of cool Food Maven you mentioned already which is trying to address the area of uh, food waste Appeal Sciences is another wonderful company James Rogers picked as one of the top 50 disruptors in uh, in business today mm. by CNBC. And uh, what he does is essentially take food waste and he's turned it in through a, uh, a process. He's a material scientist from Carnegie Mellon into a spray, which he can then apply to different types of produce to extend their shelf life. Yeah. So using natural principles, right. he's in avocados, he's in citrus. I met that guy, moving into Moving into, so here, what I love about him, what I told James I love about him is that 
you think back, Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, 1963, talking about, hey, there's a problem here with some of this, some of this pesticide stuff. It's affecting the broader world. Instead of saying, I'm going to solve this big problem about food waste through uh, dominating nature, he's learned from nature and using nature's principles to do the same thing. Yeah, I think I love the fact that philosophically he's used science. It's modern thinking, but he says that's a wonderful. Uh, a wonderful company. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, CC Vegetable Noodle Company in Austin, what he's done is essentially take vegetables and he's created a machine that can turn them into, uh, you know, pasta. And now he's figured out how to turn them into pasta shells. So for all the paleos out there, like for the people that want to eat more vegetables, right, right. Uh, he's figured this out and um, giving customers a wonderful way to enjoy vegetables that they might not otherwise do making it easier for them to yeah we had back that. in the day with so, spaghetti squash what's that <laughs> spaghetti squash exactly we heard about that last night at dinner but uh you know i think there's there's just uh there, there's many more um you know my son has a wonderful company called new barn that's i'm excited about what he's doing with organic almonds and um so there there's a there's a host of companies out there but i i think all of them kind of go on the trajectory of how do we how do we make a more healthier world that's the big that's the big tent that's the mm-hmm. big goal that everybody's moving towards whether it's on agriculture agriculture tech food production or new food products yeah. we're seeing a new generation of entrepreneurs that says i want to do things differently yeah. and i want to use modern tool set but i want to use eternal principles or yeah. age-old principles yeah. and i want to do it in a way that my customers are going to really you know whether it's prebiotics or probiotics or Dr. Heber told me last night he's got a new word, postbiotics. I don't know if you've heard that term. <laughs> no, no, but, yes. uh, you know, the confluence of what you work on in medicine, the yeah. confluence of what I worked on as a grocer, Same. the confluence of these new tool sets from technology and data mm-hmm. are creating these opportunities uh, to create more wholesome food and healthier lives. It's pretty fascinating. You know, there's a lot of conversation at this conference on food tech and ag tech. And the fact that food and agriculture have never been sexy places for investors. And now there's venture capitalists and big investors looking at the food and ag Correct. space to innovate around it. So what do you see 10, 15 years from now? What is the food space going to look like? Can you kind of imagine if if you could? I mean, I don't know if you could have imagined when you started Whole Foods if, if, <laughs> if yeah. it was going to be today. But how, how can you project forward and see where we're going well i mean what we see if i you know i'm a retailer by 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 you know for many years but what i see is that we we have an industry that's essentially as i said last night about a trillion two out of a total economy that's call it 15 16 trillion so it's a meaningful part of the economy in retail itself what's going to happen or what's happened already is that the customer expects to be served holistically so Mm -hmm. the retail of the future is a is a is a brand that's serving you physical stores mobile pickup delivery and digitally right so you'll be you know what the grocery store of the future obviously is going to tilt more towards more fresh more local uh, probably smaller center store probably gets fulfilled automatically you probably have a checklist and you call your home device and you just ask it in fact we were working with one of the major appliance folks to actually make a whole foods refrigerator which mm-hmm. would you'd be on the plane say coming home you'd look at your phone it tells you what's in your fridge you say uh I want to put an order for these things, and, and it's there in your fridge when <laughs> you get home. So we're looking at a, a futuristic world where where these things are all connected, and you're mm-hmm. served more seamlessly. And and by the way, you don't ever have to go to the store. You can actually have it delivered by drone, or you can have it delivered in some way how you want. And uh, you could have. Uh, there's a wonderful new company called Territory Foods, which is essentially building is Uberizing local chefs to, pr- to produce medically specific meals or or 
uh, dietary t- tailored uh, moves from local ingredients. Mm-hmm. So this thing is evolving incredibly quickly. I think it's all going to be driven ultimately by a customer who A, wants healthier choices and B, wants the convenience and, and third is wants the optionality to have it how they want it, when they want it. And they're going to be able to do that, whether it's a range of ethnic foods or whether it's a range of uh, restaurant meals. Uh, they're going to be able to do that in any way, shape, or want. And I think the connected home is going to support that happening. The connected home and the connected retailer is going to allow that to happen mm-hmm. very, very seamlessly. I already know people that don't even go to the store anymore. They just use the tool set to... To, you know, they they see food as a function. They don't see food as pleasure, which is what I do, and I'm sure you do Absolutely. as well. I love yeah. going to the grocery store, but yeah. then I'm a grocer, so what would you expect? So uh-huh. I think we're going to see a world that is, and it's got a whole new suite of choices because we are now seeing, uh, you know, biology and technology develop cellular-based meat and uh, more plant-based foods that are put together in the lab. Uh, some of those things I'm not that excited about, but. You're also seeing the development of yeah, you're seeing the development of new, really new, exciting uh, plant proteins and a, mm-hmm. a new appreciation for the pulse crops and yeah. some of these other forms of protein mm-hmm. that perhaps have been underappreciated and will continue to evolve. You're seeing an appreciation for just generally whole foods in general, mm-hmm. and so I think the future will be more plant based. I think they're going to see whether it's used for. I think the flexitarians are really driving that, not so much the vegans. Yeah, the vegans are three or four percent, but these flexitarians are saying, yeah. "Hey, I'm willing to try choices two or three nights a week," and that's driving the this whole new proliferations of uh, of, yeah. of, of plant based foods that are going along. They're still eating meat, but. So, uh, and I think you're going to see, um, you're seeing generally under all the food companies a realization that the customers don't want preservatives out of When McDonald's comes Nobody's out. Nobody's buying Campbell's chicken, cream of chicken well, noodles. Yeah, <laughs> well, and, and frankly, that soup is only about, I guess, less than 20% of their business, all even though I still think about it as the can of tomato, the Andy yeah. Warhol tomato soup. But, yeah, yeah. but what you're seeing is underlying all this is every food company today is realizing that the customer no longer wants the products of the last 30 years. They want new types of products. McDonald's is taking the preservatives out of their hamburger. McDonald's is cooking fresh hamburgers. I mean, if that's a beacon of American food culture, you see that this is a pretty fundamental change that we're experiencing. And I don't see it changing because I think the new generation is driving this sort of change from a new appreciation uh, for, for food. And so I think you look to 10, 20 years out, we are, that's why I say last night we're creating a new food future and yeah. it's being driven by the customer who's asking and expecting for these sorts of changes and it's being helped by doctors like yourself that are helping people to realize that food in fact is medicine yeah. as Hippocrates said let food be thy medicine let medicine be thy food mm-hmm. and it's being driven by the media who's saying hey there's there's concerns here that we need to talk about did you realize this is going on it's driven by uh, manufacturers who realize that they're what they used to sell isn't selling so mm-hmm. well they've got to meet the c- customers needs and it's being driven by grocers who want to give customers what they want. So mm-hmm. you've got all these things sort of coming together to create this new food future, which for me, as a, as a grocer, spent 40 years kind of pitching the idea that healthier food matters. is pretty damn exciting to see really it great. actually come yeah. in. I, and I often say, like, I'm an older guy now. You know, I'm 65, so I've been doing this 40 years plus. And I say to the young entrepreneurs, I said, we got it this far. We got the ball to the... 20 yard line whatever yeah. i said whatever sport analogy you want to use yeah it's now to you to take these things and create this future that we can imagine that's more inclusive more diverse more humane uh, more sustainable and that's truly what i hope happens that's great okay last question if you were king for the day and you had complete power to make any sweeping changes you want mm-hmm. 
What would you choose to do to help make the food better or the world better? Well, um, first of all, I pick it doesn't have to be one thing. It can first, be. <laughs> first, of all, first of all, I picked my queen Danielle to be with me so that we could do it together. But That's good. I'm not sure I would ever get king. I'm not much of an autocrat, but <laughs> much more of a democrat or a or a, a, a team a team based player. And I've seen the power of team. But look, I think that you know, I think that what I've seen is that the the, the real change happens in the local on the local community level and from businesses. And I I would. I would find ways to to really encourage business to take risk, innovate. Um, obviously, the farm bill is um, moves as fast as it can. I, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I, I think the government is is uh, um, it's just bogged down right now. So, what I want to see is meaningful change. I want to see people take risk and take steps towards the future we've talked about this morning. Mm-hmm. So, what would I do? Uh, I would I would. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'd put a national. Let, let's. How do we create the the modern day equivalent of the Peace Corps or the Race to the Moon, where we say let's have a let's have a race to the future, the healthy yeah. future. And I would I would somehow use the the bully pulpit and to create a profile of some large scale uh, program that that enrolled young people and rewarded young people for giving service to making that healthier like farm future happen. Farm Corps, maybe. <laughs> farm Corps. Well, yeah, well, well, it could be Farm Corps. Could be Food Food Corps is actually out there, which yeah. is actually that's a nonprofit that's actually working With to schools, to do yeah. that. But I would make a bigger program than that yeah. that sells, uh, you know, American Health Corps or something yeah. that that rewarded innovation, courage, risk. Uh, and enrolled young people in the great business and the great proposition that we can, we in fact can build a healthier future. So you're really talking about building a society of engaged citizens who care about their future and yeah. feel empowered to change it. I think so. That is awesome. <laughs> well, thanks, Walter, for joining us in the Doctor's thanks, Pharmacy. Mark. Thank you, Mark. And, it's uh, an honor. Yeah, if you've uh, liked this podcast and this conversation, please uh, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, share with your friends and family on social media, and uh, and please subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts, iTunes or Google Play, and uh, we'll see you next time on The Doctor's Pharmacy. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you all that the information in this episode is not intended to be used as medical advice. Always work with your doctor, and if you can, find a functional medicine doctor. My staff, including physicians and nutritionists at the Ultra Wellness Center in Massachusetts, is trained in functional medicine to find the root cause of disease and create health for you every step of the way. For more information about the Ultra Wellness Center, visit ultrawellnesscenter.com.